Listener Production. Hello, and you are very welcome to another episode of Half Science Explained, a weekly podcast brought to you by Listener and Cosmos. Today, you've got me, Ellen Fidian, and we are turning up the heat on the humble sausage sizzle. What's in the sausage, what goes around it, and why we cook them. Who doesn't love a sausage sizzle? Whether you're joining the grand tradition of the democracy sausage on election day or chucking a couple of bucks to the local scout group outside a hardware store, the sausage, or veggie equivalent, and white bread combo is hard to resist. So what's actually in a sausage? What's allowed to call itself a sausage? And does pricking them while barbecuing really make them healthier, or does it just make them taste worse? What about the bread the sausage sits in? How does it stay fresh for so long? I once left an unopened packet of white supermarket bread on top of my fridge to see how long it would take to go mouldy. After 29 days, one of my flatmates noticed the bag and asked me why it was there. Shortly after that, due to circumstances beyond my control, the experiment was terminated. So, I still don't know how long you can get supermarket bread to last, but I can tell you a thing or two about how it's kept fresh. We're going to do what you're never supposed to do. See how the sausage is made. Actually, Food Standards Australia and New Zealand has rules about what's allowed to call itself a sausage. It has to be at least 50% meat, or 500 grams per kilogram to be precise. The other 50% can be whatever improves the flavour of the sausage. Fats, starches like rice or wheat flour, salts, various flavours and preservatives are all common. Manufacturers also need to specify the meat content of a sausage. So you can always check the packaging or ask the butcher. Even in the super cheap snag, it often goes well above that bottom line to numbers like 70 or 80%. But there's an added complication. That meat doesn't have to be super lean. In fact, it can be 50% fat itself. So theoretically, the sausage you buy could be only half meat, half of which is fat, one quarter actual lean meat. Manufacturers don't need to specify how much fat is in the meaty part of their sausage, but they do have to explain how much fat is in the sausage total. So you can get a read of the fattiness of a sausage when you buy it too. Finally, if you're squeamish about non-canonical meats, you don't need to worry too much in Australia. Anything that has offal, so things like brain, heart, kidney, liver, tongue or tripe, has to label itself as such. So you're not going to accidentally eat brains in a sausage. You'll get a warning on the label. What about the casing? The sausage casing is less regulated, but it usually depends on a substance called collagen. This is an incredibly common type of protein. It's actually the most abundant protein in mammals, and it's used to provide structure in our bodies. Collagen proteins are long, fibrous molecules, kind of like tiny ropes, and they are very useful connective tissue. Sausage casings can be made directly from animal intestines, which are rich in collagen. This is the old-fashioned way. Or they can be made from the purified collagen itself, which is usually taken from animal hides. That's the sausage. What about the bread? As long as you're not doing sourdough wizardry, bread is pretty easy to make. It needs flour, yeast, water and maybe some salt, sugar, or oil. The white bread you get in supermarkets is no different. The starch and the yeast are the two key ingredients. 
There might also be some mineral or vitamin additives, and often things called emulsifiers. These are chemicals that mix oily stuff and watery stuff together. Lecithin, a molecule found in egg yolks and soybeans, among other things, is a really common emulsifier. So if it's all the same stuff, how does it stay mould-free for so long? If you're trying to keep food fresh, what you're really doing is killing things that live in it. Bacteria, fungus, and other microbes. There are a bunch of different ways you can do this. A really common one is to make the bread acidic, that is, treat it with vinegar. Much like us, bugs don't like drinking straight vinegar. You'll see vinegar on a lot of bread packages. Another thing you can do is suffocate them. Bread bags are often filled with carbon dioxide or pure nitrogen so that there's no oxygen for the microbes to breathe. Sometimes manufacturers will add packets that absorb oxygen to bread bags as well. I think the most exciting thing you can do to preserve bread is irradiation. At the moment, this isn't allowed in Australia, but it does happen overseas. During processing, sometimes food is deliberately exposed to beams of gamma rays or powerful X-rays. These rays have enough energy to ionise things, that is, mess around with them at an atomic level, stripping their electrons away. This is enough to murder the microbes that are hanging out in the bread. But it's important to know that the radiation isn't powerful enough to make the food radioactive. It's similar to a microwave. Instead of heating the food up, the gamma rays are changing the bacteria, but they're not leaving anything behind in either case. There have been loads of tests on the process, and it's as safe as any other preservation technique. And, like I said, we don't do this to bread in Australia at the moment. We are, however, permitted to do it with herbs, spices, and some tropical fruits. What happens when we cook? Barbecuing the sausage is doing the same job as irradiating or vinegarizing the bread. You have to make the sausage uninhabitable to microbes. Debate rages as to whether you should prick your sausages before cooking or leave them be. There's a rumour that pricking the sausage allows the fat to melt and leak out, making it healthier. As far as I can tell, there isn't any scientific backing to support this. But pricking can prevent the sausage from exploding. If there's enough water in the sausage that's boiling and turning into a gas, it will expand and break the skin. The prick gives the sausage a bit of an outlet. Lots of people think that puncturing or not puncturing changes the flavour of the sausage. I feel completely unqualified to comment on this, and I'm currently plotting an experiment to test it. And finally, the most important question, onion on top or below the sausage? A few years ago, Bunnings made headlines by releasing a controversial sausage sizzle edict. The onion should go below the sausage, not above. This, apparently, reduces the tripping hazard. A lot of people were furious about this rule. How likely was it, really, that someone was going to trip over an onion ring? But look, as someone who once had to write a risk assessment for a thought experiment, I feel for the Bunnings staff. The thing about safety regulations is that once a hazard has occurred to you, you don't really have a justification for not addressing it. It becomes unethical to ignore it. And there have been reports of one or two people who've slipped on onions at sausage sizzles. This broad public health restriction probably will avoid a few injuries, and it's way less disruptive than capacity limits or even masks. So I understand the bottom onion rule, but given a choice, I personally will be keeping my onions on the top of the snag and I will take my chances.
Despite what you may have heard about sausage making, Australia and New Zealand have some of the strictest food safety regulations in the world. So enjoy the snag if you're so inclined. We'll be back soon with even more weird and wacky answers to life's questions. But in the meantime, you can head to cosmosmagazine.com for more science just like this. Otherwise, we'll be back again next week for another Huh? Science Explained. Listener.